Hi, I'm Stephen Hawking and I think the deactivist live streams are the best thing to happen since I died. Hello, everyone. I love how it just does a nice solid cut where all the hype is gone and then it's just two people talking. Um, we're here with Evelyn Ray. Evelyn, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. We, um, we do apologise that this came, uh, this came out late, but Evelyn had a fight with uh, some bacon and then apparently got caught in the floods, uh, which I think was just an excuse, but um, we'll see. <laughs> So I've how, been putting you off for, for so long. I, I was like, there's no more excuses left. I just have yeah. to, you know, jump on now. I can't talk to you. It's climate change. It's, it's, a, it's an issue. Um, what, what is life like at the moment? Um, because you are in like a crazy flood zone. So what's <laughs> been happening? Yeah, uh, life is pretty normal except for the fact that I've only been able to actually leave my house the last sort of few days between the landslides, the floods, the rapids uh, slash creeks. Um, yeah, I was sort of bunkered in here for a little bit while all those heavy rains were on. And now I think this is about the second day without rain, although we had a little bit today, but um, still very wet, still not really able to get around and do much, but certainly in a lot better position than I was last week and the week before. Yeah. So what do you do with all the livestock when it's like this? Is there a plan B or what goes on? Well, so unfortunately, most of the time, there's not really much you can do. Um, so I did little things. I moved the horses into paddocks that were closer to the house and, um, you know, was sort of up on higher ground and, the pregnant uh, livestock that we have, I sort of moved again close towards the house so I could really keep an eye on them. But, you know, unfortunately, um, you, nature is nature and it, nature is pretty violent and rough and it's not all rainbows and unicorns and daisies. So it's pretty um, hard work. And, you know, the, the cattle and the livestock are pretty smart. They kind of know what to do instinctively. So they will always go to higher ground and get themselves out of there um, as best as they can. And thankfully, every every animal here was fine during it all, except for one little baby that was born right in the middle of it and uh, didn't quite make the night. But other than that, everyone's all good. That's a bit sad about the baby. Um, I think I've gotten soft after becoming a father. I just like things about kids and babies. I'm just like, oh, it's so sad. And I'm mm. like, what's wrong with me? What happened? I'm so soft now. <laughs> um, 
It's funny how you said nature will be nature. And I, I love when people are like, yeah, let's get back to nature and eating eating raw foods and no medicine. And then I'm like, yeah, and we'll get back to having a life expectancy of 30. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's not all, all bad. I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of intervention into food that is bad, but um, on the whole, I think we should eat a lot of meat. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. I'm getting really <laughs> sidetracked. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself for people who don't know. Tell us about um, what I'm interested in is how you became sort of hell-bent on issues around freedom. But tell us where you started, um, your days as a detective. Just give us a little rundown of, uh, of what, what you've been up to in your life. Well, I have a relatively boring life, but that's how I like it. Um, I like just living a simple life. So um, I joined the police when I was 18 um, and, you know, I was the quota and I'm happy to admit it. I was a young <laughs> girl straight from school, just ready to be indoctrinated and, you know, fit right into the system. But they little did they know who they who they were up against. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I joined uh, when I was 18 and I did um, just under 12 years service in total. Um, most of my time was as a detective. I worked um, in all kinds of different fields, lots of organized crime and things like that, but did a number of years in child sex crimes in Australia, sort of locking up pedophiles and things like that. So, uh, yeah, did all of that. And up until uh, 2020, I resigned um, and I sort of unveiled myself. I was an anon on Twitter. I um, <laughs> used a pseudonym and an alias um, up until such time and then um, once all the resignation came through and it was all above board and I could do it, I kind of came out and was like, this is me. I think a lot of people thought I was some uh, morbidly obese, balding man living in mummy's basement, but um, <laughs> little did they know it was uh, it was me the whole time. But, yeah, that's sort of my journey where I am. And, um, you know, I'm a Christian first and foremost, so that's basically what determines my politics my morality and that's kind of why I feel I can't help but be passionate about the things that I am because the things that are going on kind of go against everything that um, is important to me as a person. What sort of breed of Christianity do you subscribe to? <laughs> what breed? Yeah, what breed? Well, like you're um, a farmer, so I'm going to talk in terms of breeds. Yeah. Just, you know, we'll talk in bogan terms. That's I, I yeah, can understand yeah. that. Um, I'm reformed in my theology. So I am a Calvinist. And I know that's a dirty word to a lot of people, but I am. I'm reformed. I'm a Calvinist. I would say that I most likely follow closely to the Westminster Confession of Faith um, and theologians that I really resonate with. Um, I love R.C. Sproul. I love Bodie Borkham. I love James White, Jeff Durbin, Doug Wilson, um, that sort of spectrum of uh, theologians um, is sort of where I sit. Yeah, it is a spectrum because Calvinists can only see black and white, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And we're party poopers. I, I know all the jokes. I get it. <laughs> Interesting. Tell us a little bit before we move on to more kind of specific um, things. Uh, tell us a bit about Cauldron Pool and what that's all about. 
Yeah, so Cauldron Pool um, was uh, created in 2017 by uh, Ben Davis. He um, began it, I think, around the same-sex marriage debate in Australia and there wasn't really a Christian uh, voice in the space, I guess you could say. Like, um, that was of our sort of theology or breed, as you would like to call it. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I was kind of um, intrigued by all those things and I think I was grateful to have an opportunity to write and have it published. And, um, yeah, there's a whole team of writers that um, write for Cauldron Pool um, regularly on a whole range of topics that not just, you know, Christianity and um, things like that and the theological things, but, they, you know, many writers talk about all kinds of news and politics and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a whole team of us that sort of do it for the love of it and, um yeah, I, I'm pretty comfortable writing for them. I, I really like everything that they sort of stand for. Um, sorry, I had to take off my cardigan because people were calling me gay in the comments. Uh, <laughs> now we I'm, match. I'm that, yeah, I'm that insecure that I just had to take it off. Um, yeah, the, the I came across that website when the Ezekiel Declaration came out or maybe slightly before that. Um, so how do you think the church should have responded to the the events of 2020 when do you think they should have made sort of a a stance against thing because like uh, it was a very slippery slope and things happened quickly at what point do you think they should have been like no 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 we keep our doors open yeah look i think that there was definitely a period of time where we should have been gracious i mean the first thing like i think it was about march 2020 i remember um, being at my cousin's wedding at the time, um, and I, to this day, she was the last wedding, I'm pretty sure, that was allowed to go ahead at that particular time. And I remember us going, oh, thank goodness that she was able to get married. But we were sort of all there with family and friends and celebrating. And I just remember looking on my phone and seeing um, all these videos of people in, in China sort of foaming at the mouth and then like fainting and collapsing on the street. And then the big vans come up and drag drag the bodies into the van and drive off. And so that's at that particular point in time, that's the only information that we were getting. And that's, you know, probably sort of the only information that our government were getting and our church leaders were getting. So I definitely think there was a time of grace for everybody to figure out the beast that we were dealing with. Um, but I would say very quickly, um, you know, that period of grace should have probably ended. I think that unfortunately fear sort of became a religion and I think that took over a lot of our institutions, including the church, um, and unfortunately we put a lot of faith in a lot of other things other than Christ and I'm not saying that it's not real. I'm not saying that it's not dangerous, that we should be concerned, especially for people who are vulnerable, but I definitely think that it wasn't handled very well or appropriately. Um, and I certainly think the church on, on a, I guess, a scale, it, it sort of, apart from a few churches here and there, I think it was a big fail um, from the church. And I think that it sort of is a reflection of um, how far from the Bible we have drifted, um, and especially our church leaders. Um, you know, John Calvin once said, you know, if God wants to judge a nation, he'll give them bad leaders. And I think we're certainly seeing that across the board, government, 
you know, church, homes even, um, like everything from the top is kind of corrupt and you can sort of see that filtering throughout um, our decision-making. And God must be judging Australia hard then. We've had terrible <laughs> leaders. Oh, we did. We failed. That <laughs> That's terrible. Um, I think uh, someone sent a uh, little quote by Martin Luther, I think, where he was talking about evangelising and um, whether if he had lived through the bubonic plague or something, whether he'd still be evangelising. And he's like, yeah, long and short of it. It's like, yeah, like like if I know the risks, like I'm still going to go out and talk to people. Um, and like I just, I just couldn't fathom them just shutting the doors and being like, hey, everyone, go online. It's same, same. I was just like, it's not the same. Um, yeah, so that was very, um, very strange and disappointing indeed. Oh, I missed the question that I was going to ask you, which is uh, as a farmer, how much nitrogen do you have in your soil? <laughs> I don't know. I, I I have no issue with nitrogen. I I believe. Um, Look, I can't really answer that. Issue. It's a big issue. <laughs> it is apparently for certain people. Yes. Yeah. But I find I find that whole. Uh, I'm sure a tax will fix it though. Yeah, I think so. All these problems. <laughs> I think so. Liquid nitrogen tax too, because mm. um, you know I I posted a Terminator Two meme on Instagram and someone said, "What movie is this from?" And I was like, what? <laughs> Are you trolling me? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so as a, you know, an ex-police officer uh, who spent most of your time as a detective, uh, did you get excited watching Victoria Police crack skulls over the last mm -hmm. two years? Or what was your, because I like, it's different for me because I normally, well, on most days I don't really have, much of a love for the police force so for me to watch them and be like oh you bunch of bastards is different um from you because you were a police officer so what was that like yeah it was actually really difficult for me um I, i've spoken about it a little bit but you know what when you've uh been a part of like an organization like that you get like a kind of camaraderie with people that you work with it's similar uh, to people who go off to war, they sort of come back with this bond that you can't really articulate, but it's just kind of there. Similarly to people who go on those survivor shows and they spend like 40 days together and then they're friends for life because you just form mm -hmm. these sort of uh, bonds. And for me, there's like this saying in the police, once you bleed blue, you always bleed blue. And, um, you know, I have, and I'm happy to admit, I have been someone who has historically stood up for the police, especially around like the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I was very much against defunding the police and I sort of was like, we, you know, police have it hard and one bad apple doesn't make the whole bunch bad. Um, but when everything happened with, um, you know, the last couple of years with lockdowns and the police response, I was really sort of smacked in the face with my own words because what I was seeing is something that I didn't want to associate with by any means. It was something that I felt really ashamed of. It was certainly uh, things that I was really disappointed in. And so for me, I had this like real moment of, um, I guess, self-reflection where I sort of had to step away from that and I thought, as much as everything in me instinctively wants to defend them because I 
once felt like they were brothers and sisters, um, I had to do what was right uh, first and foremost to the truth. And the truth was I do not by any means think that the way that they handled any of that was right. And I definitely think it was a betrayal of the oath that we all swear, you know, when we when we join the police, which is to serve and protect um, and do everything in good faith. And I do not believe that that was so. And um, I thought if I don't speak up about it, like who who will and and hopefully I can at least do it in, in a way um, that can hopefully bridge the gap between law enforcement and civilian because, you know, there's a saying out there, if you want to make enemies with the police, you better make friends with the criminals. Um, and I sort of, I don't like a world where we hate our police officers and I don't like a world where we don't respect what they do. Um, and historically speaking, like we do have a fairly good relationship in Australia with our law enforcement for a reason, because we have been fairly trustworthy and there has been good rapport with public and and people in service, but, um, you know, that's kind of dying. And if, if that fully dies, that fracture continues, I'm not sure we'll see it repaired in our lifetime. And so as hard as it was, I, ha I had to sort of speak out against the police and um, it was interesting. It's been a journey, but I have really sort of had my eyes open through all of it. And there are things that I've always known about the police that aren't, I don't think are right. Recruitment, for example, who they're recruiting, the training, um, the accountability of its police officers. They're all things that I've always known that aren't right. Um, and I think the last couple of years has just put that under the magnifying glass. And I think we can't ignore it anymore and just, you know, have the attitude of, oh, well, a few bad apples. It's like, well, no, there needs to be a big reformation in our police force across Australia. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a, I'm a massive fan of the idea of just having private police and competing private firms um, because we get in a situation like we did in 2020 where they're just enforcing these decrees by Daniel Andrews or whoever the state leader is and they've got no choice. Like that's what they do. That's their their job. And like you said, it shouldn't be their job to do that. Really what they should be doing is protecting people from each other. And I think that that part of the police officer's job is actually important. Um, but anyway, I digress. Uh, so we were talking just before the stream about, um, you know, the recent school shooting in, um, in Texas um, and how it took police officers, what was it, 77 minutes to enter the school or to take action or something like that. What are your thoughts on uh, situations like that, um, yeah, from your experience? Yeah, well, <laughs> the okay. the whole shooting um, at the school in Texas is just heartbreaking. Um, I remember seeing the footage of parents being arrested before the offender, and that was quite shocking uh, to me to watch. And I just remember thinking, if I was one of those parents, like I just, I, I honestly don't know how I would respond, and I don't know how they will ever move past this. I mean, by the grace of God, they can, but I just don't know how you deal with such um, poor police response, which I believe had a huge impact on the amount of casualties that were there. 
So I've seen and I've been privy and I've been attending to lots of jobs uh, here in Australia. I've been to a few seizures, a few hostage situations. And to be honest, there are some really incredible police responses. Quick, swift, they go in, the job's done, everybody's safe. But I have been to jobs where uh, it has a similar feel to the Texas school shooting in that um, I think it was poor police response that caused a greater casualty than what was necessary or likely. Um, and, you know, I was sort of talking to you before, it all comes down to training and things like that. And the whole police force <laughs> is just, I don't think it's right, to be honest. And the way that it is, is basically if, if you're a junior officer, you just shut your mouth and you do what you're told. And if you ever speak up, you've got a target on your back. You get bullied. Yeah. You know, you you get labeled like a, a crap cop, basically. No one wants it to work with you. Uh, you never get a promotion or never get to do all these exciting things. If, if crappy job comes up, you get sent there, you know, and so it's a really bad culture. And, you know, there's been a lot of jobs I've gone to where from the top hierarchy, they give you an order and you don't agree with it and you don't feel like it's right. And it kind of, uh, you know, uh, just filters down and you just got to do what you're told. And as I said to you before, I've been to one where I believe, uh, it would have been ended and no lives taken, but it took 17 hours and our lives were lost in the end or because, um, you know, contain and negotiate. And I, I said to you before, there's a time and a place to contain and negotiate to use your verbal, nonverbal communication skills. And then there's a time to actually, uh, I guess, prevent the loss of life, um, of innocent lives. And yeah, we're sort of getting all these things blurred. There's too much focus on, um, too much gentle focus on criminals, I think, and not enough focus on punishment of crime or on um, preventing crime from happening. I think it's all backwards. Like you only have to look at the prison system to see how wrong it is. It's all about, you know, reformation and, uh, you know, let's, let's reform this inmate. And it's like, well, you should punish them for the crime they've committed and hopefully the punishment itself is enough to reform them. But no, it's just backwards. It's really sad. And yeah, so this whole shooting was quite, uh, I, I don't think it should have or could have gone there. It should have been definitely a different response. When you say criminals, you, are you specifically referring to people who are holding someone hostage or, you know, violent offenders? Because truth be told, the protesters were criminals. Like they, they all broke the law. So what's your, where's your line or where do you think, do you think there should be different classes of criminal, for example, where, you know, force is necessary or not? I think there's a big difference between an active shooter and a hostage situation and then somebody exercising their right to protest because you've got to look at all different kinds of laws and we actually do have laws that give people the right to protest. It's written everywhere um, as clear as day. So the confusing part was what made certain protests criminal and certain protests not criminal uh, and they're only within like a month or two of each other. And so I would say that using logic... <laughs> And reason uh, to come to a rational conclusion can give you a pretty clear indication on where police resources should be used and where they shouldn't be used. I don't think it takes a genius or a rocket scientist to sort of figure out 
uh, the difference between the two and where it should be. But that's half of the problem is we are too busy trying not to offend people and we're too busy trying to be careful about things that we've lost our way with objective truth. Uh, we've lost the ability to calculate things uh, logically and I think that's part of where all of these blurred lines are being lost. I think a normal rational person can figure out the difference between what should be a lawful protest and then holding a gun to someone's head in a hostage situation. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the issue is, though, that, like you said, the recruitment process is, hey, let's get some thugs fresh out of high school that will beat up these protesters and arrest journalists and, and with no basic uh, repercussions for their actions. So what do you think about the idea of having police held accountable for wrongful actions, whether it's sort of, um, you know, how maybe we could have individual insurance for each officer and, you know, so, yes, if they make a mistake, they're insured for that, but then their premiums go up the next year, you know, just to continue being an officer. If they're too violent against offenders who actually didn't do anything wrong, maybe in a court of law they're found innocent, then, of course, their premiums go up. What do you think of ideas like that to hold individual police officers more accountable for the things they did? I think that it's important um, that there is more accountability amongst officers, especially, I think, if you're given that much authority, especially if you have the lawful right to take away someone's basic human rights, i.e. arresting or detaining someone for an alleged offence, there should be real scrutiny if you mess that up because it's no small thing uh, to take those human rights away from somebody. You know, and I think that's the idea of prison. Well, you lose your basic human rights for a time as punishment because you committed crime A, B, C or D. Um, and so I think that there definitely needs to be higher accountability for law enforcement because they're given so much uh, authority over, every, you know, human beings. Um, I, I've never heard of the premium idea. I don't know if that's the right answer. Um, it is, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would be happy with a, um, you know, one strike and you're out type thing as well I mean if you are given such a responsibility then um, you need to really be able to manage yourself pretty well with that and if you get it wrong what gives you the right to do it again um, or have another crack at it you know depending on the degree of it you know you might do a typo in in some legal paperwork by accident as you're typing on a computer that's you know, different. There might be um, a complaint. I didn't like the way this officer spoke. You know, that's they're, they're all things that should be managed pretty well. But if it comes to a false arrest, it comes to excessive force, you know, things like that, then I think there should be harsher scrutiny and accountability for people who are given that amount of authority over people. Yeah. Um, I'll just say to the people in the comments, Evelyn's not a libertarian. So don't put libertarian values onto someone who's not libertarian, she's conservative. <laughs> so I am, I'm not libertarian, yeah. She's I'm seeing so many comments. All. I'm seeing so. a lot of comments. Yeah, oh, she's still a cop. She's still this. It's, uh, you know, I get it all the time. But, uh, you know, I knew when I was going to come out and speak that people are going to say horrible things about me. I have really thick skin because I spent 12 years with people hating me. I didn't spend barely any time in uniform arresting regular people. I was literally 
locking up pedophiles and horrible people who murdered their own children. That's sort of what I did. I sort of specialized in that. Um, and, you know, I got pretty thick skin. But I'll tell you what, when I sort of came out in this spectrum, it's completely different. People hated me because of my badge. People hated me because of my uniform. But it's like now people hate me because of my heart and my thoughts. And it's different. It kind of hurts more. But I'm starting to get thicker skin. So I'm seeing so many comments uh, about everything. And it's, you know, um, it, it's just I, there's nothing I can do about it. I've spoken out against them. I've done countless videos and interviews with people about how I don't think the police are doing things how they should be. And yeah, again, I'm, uh, I'm not a libertarian by any means. I, I do not believe uh, in that sort of uh, construct. Yeah, I think I need more. Uh, I need to uh, prime the audience more when I bring guests on. <laughs> this is where they're, they're, they're coming from in the world. Um, and I'll also say that it's, it's quite important to have people who were police officers to say, hey, these are some problems and this is where we need to roll back a little bit um, and this is where they're going too far. Because you have been speaking out against Victoria Police in particular for the last two years and not a lot of police officers or ex-police officers ever come out and speak out. So it's actually important to set an example. And I'm not like a Puritan where it's, well, not a Puritan in the religious sense. Uh, I'm not uh, so... Uh, I get, is Puritan an adjective? It is now. I'm not a Puritan in that, oh, I can only ag uh, agree with someone or endorse them or have them on the show if they agree with me 100% on my political philosophy. I think that's silly. I think it's more like, hey, let's all move towards freedom together and we see how far towards that guiding light we can get. Because, like, if I wanted to interview uh, only real libertarians and ANCAPs, I'd just be interviewing myself because there are no real libertarians, just me. Um, but <laughs> but any purist, yeah, thank you. That's the word, I think. Purist, Puritan, who knows. Um, yeah, so let's, uh, let's uh, did we even talk about the school shooting? We did, didn't we? Mm. Um, I just came back from America and one of the greatest things is that um, like Google Maps here is pretty primitive. Like, you know, you can see, you know, you can say, hey, take me to Starbucks and it might show a few options. But Google Maps in America is very specific. Like I said, hey, take me to a shooting range. And it took me straight to a primary school. It was amazing. Mm. <laughs> that was a. Do you like you that? You, you, you warned me about this. You're like, if you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know, just assume. So it clicked. Just assume and fake laugh. Mm. Um. <laughs> so, so tell me um about where you think australia is headed um do you think we're gonna have climate lockdowns do you think they're bringing back the mask mandates um because i've heard some rumors and and uh what to face um kerry chant was saying you know even if you have a negative rat test don't go out and about was their exact exact word so even though most people are double jabbed and, and you know, it's been two years. Even if you have a negative rat test, stay inside. So where do you think we're headed? Do you have hope or do you think we're going to, you know, go into another spiral? Yeah, it's interesting because for a, a while there, um, it's almost like we forgot about the last couple of years. Well, not 
we didn't forget, but the mainstream media forgot. They were talking about Ukraine and Russia and interest rates and inflation and you name it. And that was sort of the, uh, you know, hot topics for, for a while there. And I thought, good, hopefully this means we're moving past it. And then the last few weeks, like you mentioned, all of these uh, types of topics, all about masks and um you know, mandates, lockdowns, it's all sort of back at the forefront of the mainstream media again, which for any of us who were against it from the very beginning, like us, is a massive red flag because we all saw how quickly it escalated in the trajectory that it went on. So for me, I'm seeing all of the talk about it again as a giant red flag. Um, And I think that we would be stupid to just blindly you know, follow or, or have faith that it's not likely to happen again. I think that if they could do it the first time, the precedent's been set, they know how far they can push us and they might try to do it again. And I think this is something that most of us were saying from the beginning, if we set up a precedent for this now, you know, the government uh, take far easier than they ever give back. And the nature of the government it is is to grow and to get bigger, not to get smaller. Like that's unnatural characteristic for government. So I think, yeah, in answer to your question, I, I do think that unfortunately uh, we could be headed for masks again. That seems like maybe the first thing that will happen. Um, and then it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, another two weeks to flatten the curve <laughs> will happen again. Um, who knows? I put a tweet out the other day and said, you know, um, congratulations on making the two and a half year anniversary to two weeks to flatten the curve. And, you know, it's it's funny, but it's like if you don't laugh, you'll cry because it's just that utterly ridiculous and sad. Uh, you, you asked me about climate lockdowns you only have to look at news articles from google like a mainstream media source to see that everybody uh in that spectrum or space is talking about it um i've been criticized for saying i think it's possible but i do think it's possible they said that the earth healed during covid the silver lining was the birds are now in the trees again the beetles are (laughs) crawling around every you know nature's healed itself and so (laughs) <laughs> That's just, you know, music to the um, the extreme climate alarmists' ears and it wouldn't surprise me with all these new teal people that have come into government power and Labor and Greens now in power. It would not surprise me if this could potentially be something that they look at or could happen. So I'm hoping and praying it's not the case, but I'm a bit of a glass half empty mentality when it comes to government response to all this. Yeah. I, I, I um, have been on TikTok recently, um, just perfecting my dance moves and um, my cleavage <laughs> uh, amount of cleavage that I can show <laughs> without getting nuked. Um, and so I've been seeing little clips of Anthony Albanese uh, in his various places around the world, not in Australia. Um and he basically said he's opening up discussions to have New Zealand citizens vote in Australian elections. And I'm like, what? Really? And so I did the numbers. And because, of course, they wouldn't stop at 
New Zealand citizens, they'd be like, well, if as long as they're paying taxes or buying products in Australia, anyone with a visa should be able to vote. And when you do the math, it's actually 12% of the vote. And they're not from, you know, places where you'd be like, yeah, they'll probably vote for Australian values. They're from like communist China or extremely blue New Zealand. And it's just insane that two weeks into the job, he's like, hey, let's allow different citizens to vote in our elections. I don't know if you saw that or if you have thoughts on that, but uh, do you think that's a good idea? (laughs) I put it out there that I thought it was a terrible idea, Um, but I had a lot of New Zealand people living in Australia reach out to me and say, well, actually, and then they mentioned like what you said, um, that they've been living here for 20 years paying taxes, they can't vote in New Zealand, they can't vote here, and they feel, you know, helpless, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I, I I feel bad for them, but still to the core of me, I just think if you're not a citizen of a nation, you shouldn't be able to vote for that nation. That's sort of where I stand on that. Um, I I just can't, like, you know, I think that, you know, nations, borders, they're all important. If we didn't have borders, we didn't have nations, like we wouldn't, like, you know, <laughs> Who would we be? Like we wouldn't need passports. We wouldn't need things. I I do think that there is importance to, um, you know, voting. And like you mentioned, I think there is a huge risk of corruption and manipulation if we were to, you know, say let New Zealanders vote. Where could that lead? Like we've all said the precedent and, you know, the trajectory of big government, where that goes. We know that what they want to achieve we know they want a big global melting pot with all of us in it, um, and this could just be that step in that direction. So there, it does kind of leave it pretty open for um, corruption of that system. Yeah. I, I um, The only issues, I only have two issues with, well, not issues, but two divergences from uh, Main Street uh, and Cap or Libertarian Thought, and one of them is, until uh you know we can actually uh, and actually i'm not even i'm not even gonna go there i'm not gonna go there people in the comments are fiery enough but before we go i know it's a like we've gone over time a little bit but if you have five minutes um i would like your opinion on roe v wade uh because you know as a strong powerful woman this is a woman's rights issue and you should be allowed to uh, do what you want with your body, right? <laughs> well, you assumed my gender to start with. Oh, I'm sorry. So that, was, <laughs> sorry. that was pretty low of you. You should have asked first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I'm pro-life. That's where I stand. I am a Christian first and foremost. I know people don't like that, um, but that's where I stand. I think that it was silly to think that Roe v. Wade meant that that ended abortion. It doesn't end abortion. It just puts the power in the state. Um, So everybody can still abort their babies if that's what they want to do. Um, So I think that more about it than most people on Twitter who are like, there's no more abortions (laughs) for anyone. It's like, no, it's a state Mm. issue. It wasn't constitutional. It's a state. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, sorry to cut in there, but <laughs> no. So yeah, it it's 
Roe v. Wade is not the end of abortion or women's right to get an abortion. They just might need to travel further and pay for more petrol to get it done uh, in another state. But if that's what they want to do, they they can do that. Um, again, I like all embryologists around the world. Some of them are atheists. Some of them are pro-choice. But they all have the consensus that life begins at conception. And that is exactly where I stand. That is what I believe as well. Um, I think science would probably be more on my side than pro-choice side. But again, um, to just put it simply, I, I, yeah. I, I vehemently disagree because people still have told me that I don't have a life. So life <laughs> doesn't even begin till you're well past 30. <laughs> no, yeah. I, it, it's funny how people, like, they try and, like, the base argument or the base disagreement is always where does life begin and people try and take the argument other places but it's always that question because you know if life begins at conception or at three months or six months or whatever then it's no longer your body because there's another life in there um so that's always the question and my my not compromise but my only answer so far is just that you know if if it's another it's a if we say that it's a life then okay, no one agrees on that. But like, let's say if it is a life, then it still doesn't have the right to be in a woman's body trespassing, for example. But you can't invite someone onto your private jet, fly it 250,000 feet above the air and say, you know what, you're on my private property, out you go, because that results in someone dying straight away. You can't just evict someone from your body and kill them. So my position is that, um, if it's regarded as a life, the woman still has the right to evict as long as it can survive outside the womb. And then if we get rid of all of the restraints around adoption, it should sort itself out. But other than that, my goodness, there is no se sexual education that's helpful. <laughs> like, mm. And there's no responsibility either. Um, I don't think that laws should ever be made to be a crutch for people's irresponsibility. I just don't think that's the thing. And too many laws are just helping dumb people. It's like, no, let them sort themselves out. But it's a huge topic. Um, I only mm. promised you for half an hour. So um, before we go, <laughs> what, uh, what words of advice do you have for fellow Australians living in a flood-torn, uh, uh, hope-ridden, inflation airy mm. land of opportunity yeah we've gone from penal colony to penal colony in under 200 years <laughs> I think that's, that's a record um it's pretty dismal but look i i by my nature unfortunately am very much pessimistic very glass half empty i'm trying to do better and i'm trying to be better and so my piece of advice would be fix what you can. And the most important thing is probably your home. You know, if you can protect the four walls of your home um, and guard that with your life and, you know, do that right, then from the home you can extend the home into the community and those sorts of values and good things. And I think that we have to play the long game. I don't think there's a short-term solution. I think that, you know, our culture is pretty rotten across the board and I think that the response over the last two years is a 
a direct result to the the rot that we have plagued our once great nations with. So I think if we want to do anything good, we've got to start at home and we have to play the long game. So Good advice. I think a lot of people were very disappointed after the election that freedom parties went so terribly. But, I mean, as long as we can plant the seeds and then grow that and with our children and with, you know, all of our actions over the long term, hopefully uh, the sentiment grows. Um, but we'll see. I think a lot of freedom lovers are just going to move to Texas as soon as they can. But, uh, Florida. You will say, oh, Florida. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Or Florida. I don't know. I don't think or I like Or an island. I'm thinking Where's of purchasing those? an island, just an island somewhere oh, yeah. and starting my own country. Yeah, really yeah. strict, like, visa policy. You yeah. can't be woke. You can't, you can't, you have to just leave me alone. If you come to my island, we just do our own thing and have no yeah. government, just live by morals. <laughs> that would be great. I think that's a great starting <laughs> place. Galt's, uh, Galt's Island, John Galt's Island would be amazing. I can't believe that's not a thing yet. Maybe it is, but I'm not. I'm not uh, work. I'm, I haven't been enlightened enough to be invited, uh, but one day I will. Anyway, thank mm. you so much for talking with us. And uh, next week, guys, we have Topher Field on. Uh, so maybe you can hound him about libertarian issues. Uh, and the week after that, hopefully, we have David Gronowski on, who is a libertarian Christian uh, commentator and news presenter over in the United States. Um, that one will be at midnight for us here in down under because uh, apparently time zones are different in the United States. It could be 7am, but here we're still stuck in 1945. Um, so it's very hard to coordinate, but Evelyn, thanks so much for being here and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Thanks guys. <laughs>